Welcome to Transmissions from the Evil Lair, the official podcast of the Brotherhood of Evil Geeks. Welcome to episode 230 of Transmissions from the Evil Lair. Today, it is myself and Undies of Wondy sitting down to talk with creator Frank Gogol uh, about his latest book called Dead End Kids uh, from SourcePoint Press. Uh, you should absolutely go out. Uh, it's coming out soon. You should absolutely go out, uh, check this book out, go to your uh, local comic shop, ask about it. Uh, they will get you a copy. Um, it, it's, it's really great. Uh, I read the first issue. I uh, highly recommend it. We also talk about uh, his uh, earlier work, uh, this anthology book called Grief, um, which is kind of a series of stories uh, about people dealing with uh, difficult uh, situations in their life. Um, you know, not really conventional stories. Um, kind of, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'll let it speak for itself. You should absolutely check that out too. Um, I, I don't want to sell it short in my description of it, but it's a really unique book. Um, and I, I, another book I just highly recommend. Uh, we had a great time talking to Frank. Uh, we talk about, uh, kind of like fueling the creative process with, um, kind of things that happen to you uh, in your life, good and bad. Um, you know, we, we get into all the fun geeky stuff that we usually uh, talk about here on the show. We can really uh, kind of into the creative process also. Um, so I hope you enjoy it. I'm talking with Frank Gogol about Dead End Kids on Transmissions from the Evil Lair. What's up, everybody? This is Transmissions from the Evil Lair, and I'm Undies of Wendy. And I am Seamart. And today we are joined by the fabulous Frank Gogol. Everybody... <laughs> Yay, applause, fanfare. Because I said his last name right, so that makes me better than most On the people. first try. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> yeah, unlike that some people you... who needed like three starts to get this going. <laughs> that puts you in the top 1% of podcasts. I'm so right excited. Away. You heard it here first. You can put that right on our website, like a review. Though cool. <laughs> so the, the three tries to get the intro right kind of balances it out. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Uh, awkward. Yeah, that was um, him, not me. But yeah, we are we are gathered here to talk our, our you know our favorite topic, and that is comics. Um, Frank has a is, is it out now or is it coming out? Uh, the new book, Dead End Kids. Uh, it's out July twenty fourth. I got the initial pre order numbers for number one today, so well, um, yeah. still got a little ways to go. Jumping I knew that the title, I, just, yeah. I just read it, so I read the the press kit cover thing. Oh, oh, okay. I was very thorough. So again, you're one-upping me on this podcast. I am. That's what this podcast is. It's just going to be Undies of Wendy, one-up C-Mart all day today. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Frank has a new book out, Dead End Kids. Um, tell us a little bit about it, because it's, you know, we're, we're very, we're superhero comic people here. I, you know, I, I definitely embrace that. But we're, you know, we, we, we're, this is a forum open for creators of all kinds. 
Uh, yeah, so the book is uh, it's called Dead End Kids. It's a three-issue miniseries coming out from Sourcepoint Press. Uh, the first issue drops on July 24th. Um, the story is about three kids in the late 90s trying to solve their friend's murder, so it's a little bit Stand By Me, a little bit Hardy Boys, but a lot more violent. Um, you guys got the first issue in the press kit. Um, the, the violence really kicks off in issue two. There's like a torture scene. It gets it gets wild. Yeah, um, yeah. as I say, it's not like you know cinematic violence where like it's kind of like alluring and you know like it's kind of stylized. No, it's like very realistic and very like gritty. Well, that was that was one of the sort of edicts I set down for myself when I sat down to write this. I wanted to say, you know, if kids are trying to solve a murder, which sometimes they do in coming of age stories like the Hardy Boys or or Stand by Me or you know to some extent try to solve a murder, like wouldn't it go a lot worse for them than it tends to? And I wanted to sort of see if I could take like a realistic approach to it. Um, but at its core, this is really a, a book about like friendship and and all those things that coming of age stories really like to talk about. It's about these four kids from messed up homes who sort of you know find each other in the streets and uh, sort of rely on one another and have stability because of one another. Um, and what happens to that stability when one of them is murdered? Yeah, I like that you kind of start out by saying that, like, hey, you know those stories where like all the misfit kids find each other and everything's great afterwards like yeah that's not this is not one of those stories like it doesn't end well um and it is kind of like it kind of brings to light like behind every one of those like you know misfit kids find each other and everything's great like they still they while they do have each other like they still have like messed up lives to go back to you know like it's set against like this you know this friendship that's like saving them basically um you're gonna laugh at me when i say this but i mean that's that's (laughs) that's probably what draws me to like a show like buffy also like it's like very realistic like in certain aspects you got the like Like, the vampires and the demons running yeah but like (laughs) she still has to like then deal with it in her real life and i like i think that that's cool like you know so I, it's super wild that you would say that because the 100 of the DNA of this book and pretty much everything I write is is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, <laughs> Look, we literally know how to pick people because somehow, no matter what we do, we always come back to Buffy. Yeah, that is a topic that comes up a lot on the show. Yeah. Well, Joss in the the writers' room on and the everyone who made the show, honestly, um, really just they tapped into something that really spoke to me. It was, you know, it was like every. Every win was a loss, you know, at the end of season two. You know, spoilers for a 20-year-old episode of TV. Um, <laughs> Buffy has to kill Angel at right at the moment he, like, turns human and, like, he's totally innocent again because he doesn't remember anything and she still has to do it to save the world. And, like, I really like that, you know, you, you don't win when you win. Yeah. Kinda. No, it's very, it's very no, Stanley. Yeah, it, it's very much Stanley Spider-Man, you know, no matter what he tries to do to to. to do better and have responsibility always fucks up something at home with aunt may or with mary jane and you know that's that's sort of the power and responsibility thing but through the lens of a horror tv show yeah i only thought the season two was the saddest part of buffy and then she like (laughs) sacrifices her own life and then then is happy for a minute because she's in heaven and then they rip her out of heaven (laughs) yeah right they think they're doing the right thing bringing her back and they tear her ass out of heaven (laughs) Sad. Yeah, I never really oh. thought about this. She does have like the Parker luck, basically. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean that was. Bad, I, 
what's it, the bad luck Brian or whatever? Bad news Brian. Uh, the, bad luck Chuck. <laughs> no, you know that meme of that kid with the braces when like. It's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Buffy. <laughs> yeah, but Buffy is very much in the DNA of this book and the book I put out last year, Grief, and the book that I am putting out next spring, which I can't talk almost anything about, um, is basically a Buffy ripoff. Um, right. it's, Buffy, it's Buffy if she was a recovering drug addict and had to fight the Lost Boys. Okay, I'm here for it, yeah. like 110%. Yeah. Like, I hope everyone's here for it, but we're not here to talk about that. Um, so, uh, kind of shifting focus to Grief, um, one of the things I liked the most about Grief, and I was just saying it like five seconds ago, was that you start every story with like a sentence. Is that like kind of how you formulated your ideas for the stories? Like, did you write the sentences first or did they come later? I would, I would like to say yes and sound like I'm really smart and had all that foresight. <laughs> but really, the truth, the truth is it's short stories and the page count of the short stories is odd numbers. And when you print a comic book, you have to think in, in numerals of four because it's two pages just front and back. So I had to, I had these, the chapter pages and then uh, a black page, I think. And then I had, you know, the odd number of story pages. So I needed to add one more page to keep the pages on the left and right where they belong. So that was just sort of a, an inelegant slash elegant solution to that. I think it did add like a lot of cool depth to the, the story, but, or the, the book, but it really was by necessity first. Yeah, it's a technical choice cool. that, yeah, yeah, that kind though, of increases like... the, you know, augments the artistic quality of it. Well, I thought it like, uh, you know, after I came up with the idea, I convinced myself that it was a good one and said, you know, it really sort of sets a tone and, and kind of gives, not, not a thesis, but for lack of a better word, like a thesis for each story. Um, I, you know, I, I, we kind of uh, set this up talking about dead end kids, but, um, you know, I also, I read grief and that, that's the one that really like, I'm like, wow, I, like, I really got into that. Not that I didn't enjoy Dead End Kids, because I did. You know, I, um, want, I definitely want more Dead End Kids. Like, I was I was hooked. But yeah, like, when I was reading Grief, I'm like, man, I can't wait to talk. Like, it's like, it, it, it's, it's just a different take on, uh, you know, again, like, realistic stories. Like, um, the, the one that really, I think, hit me the hardest was the very last one. The kid, um, uh, Embrace. Yeah, the Embrace. The guy with his autistic son. Like, Which you said that was the... I was reading that afterward. That that was the first... Was that the first one you wrote? It's the first comic I've ever written, and I feel like I'm never going to get over that hurdle. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, but... Yeah, that's but, a way to set the bar pretty high, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know what? It's I, I love that story. I always will. Um, it's, it's definitely my favorite in the collection. Um, and it's... Like I said, it was the first thing I wrote, and one of the things I set myself out to do when I first started writing comics was I wanted to, very much in the vein of Buffy, it was actually, I, I wrote down because of Buffy, um, I wanted to tell human stories. Like, every Buffy story has got a monster, but, like, the monster is always some sort of very on-the-nose reflection of a problem happening with one of the characters in the, in the show. Like, uh, there's an episode of The Girl Who Turns Invisible, but it really is a story about, you know, this this sad young girl who's overlooked in school so much so that she literally becomes invisible yeah, and like one of my favorite episodes too <clears throat> totally underrated like, episode of Buffy also so I'm really happy yeah, you brought that one up it's 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 one of one of my top 20 I don't know if I could say top 10 but uh, you know I like that kind of storytelling where it's about character first and then everything else is sort of slave to the character story um so the very first story I wrote was a drama because I didn't want to worry about magic or goblins or, or guns or superheroes or anything like that I really wanted to dig into character first um and then I mean like on the other side of the coin you did stories in there that have like the superhero element but then showing like 
you know, what happens when the cape and the, and the masks come off and, you know, you're left with real life. Like, the one woman who loses custody. Yeah, of her kid because, because she's a superhero. <laughs> and, like, you know what? Like, to me, that was, like, that was, like, real. And I felt like, I was like, wow, like, I feel like well, it's one of those this things is what should have happened Yeah, that's Oliver a very Queen. practical decision. Like, like, why did Oliver Queen, why are they allowed to keep taking in orphans? Like, please stop. Like, jeez. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it, I, I really, like, you know, felt that one. Um, I I think, though, like, if we're talking about our favorites from the the different story, I think, is the one that hit hit me the hardest. Oh, so the, the one where the, the kid's getting beat up, like... Yeah, and then... Yeah, I'm trying not to, like, spoil everything. I don't want to spoil yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think, I think that one's worth spoiling, because that one's... If I had to say there was a story in there that was important for like beyond entertainment value, that's that's the one. Yeah, for uh, sure. Like, at least, at least for me. Especially in like you know today's society. I mean, like you know, I, without giving too much away, I mean, like it is Pride Month, and like you know, I, I know so many people who you know are you know on the gender queer you know spectrum, and like you know they don't have anything like that. I think that really just like captured what. I've yeah. heard from them, like stories I've heard, like from. People. Yeah, basically the only like kind of moment of joy, you know, for this the kid in the story is like at the very end when he's his true self. Like you know, you see what he you know who he really is, and like that's you know that's kind of like the just yeah you just you, you get it it hammers it home you know. Yeah, and and you know what? Like I just I had this idea for this story where there was a world where mutants exist and are semi or fully accepted by society and then these other very real minority aren't um and i i i batted it around a bunch and tried a, a couple different frames of reference for the main character but i kept landing back on this one yeah and and it's in all honesty like i am a, a straight white you know cis man like I, I i didn't feel very comfortable telling the story but i really wanted to um so i did reach out to uh, a creator who fits the mold of the person in the story um and i worked with them to really make sure that the story rang true and was was sensitive and 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 captured and i you know i think that there's a couple stories in grief where i wanted to tell stories about these these lives and these people who weren't at all like me there's a story about a drive-by shooting in there um and i've never been through a drive-by shooting i've never lived in a you know an urban area like that but uh i really wanted to tell these stories so i thought it was important to be respectful and to really put the time in to make sure that they were like i said respectful um and i think part of that is is why the story rings so true it's 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 less me and more about the people i was able luckily enough to collaborate on it um, shifting back to, to Dead End Kids, it has a very like '90s indie movie feel to it. Um, was that you know is that something that kind of like influenced you like that kind of era of movies? You know, I wish I had seen uh, the Jonah Hill directorial debut movie. Uh, what was oh, it mid-90s? called? Mid '90s. Yeah, before we, we wrote this, fell asleep in the middle of it because we started watching it late at night. And like, not I was, because it wasn't good, yeah. but because we literally started watching it at like 3 a.m. and then we just forgot to go back. But yeah, like I'm watching. I'm like, this is this is like my childhood. Like, yeah, I, I absolutely get this. And it's like also but, like weird, like for lack of a better term, very aesthetic. <laughs> like I was watching. Well, that, and that that was the thing, like. Um, we didn't necessarily, uh, Nanad, Sean, and I, um, Nanad's the artist and colorist and Sean's the letter. We didn't necessarily go for an indie feel. I think making indie comics sort of lends itself to that without trying. Mm. Uh, 
what we did sort of set out to do is, you know, make an indie book that looked professional. Um, like a lot of indie books don't have color. A lot of indie books don't have particularly crisp line work and there's nothing wrong with that, but we were going for a specific look in that regard. I wanted, I wanted it to be a book that I would pick up off the, the comic shelf, not the indie shelf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, and as far as like comic influences, what kind of, um, you know, is that something that's always been, uh, kind of, you know, fueling you since you were a child, or is that kind of a newer uh, thing? So I have talked to a lot of comic artists who, who a lot of them I, I kind of find start, starting out wanting to be directors, and end up kind of discovering comics along the way. Um, so I'm not sure if that's something that you know, kind of applied to you. I can actually pinpoint for you like three or four things in my life that really led me here, um, and it was sort of always the same trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, television shows when I was a kid um, were really influential on me. Like uh, my mom was pretty, uh, she was, she was into some stuff that like the average, like, you know, mother wouldn't be like, she watched a lot of X-Files. Uh, she, she had me watch a lot of Nick and Knight. So I was watching, I dream of genie and bewitched. Oh, nice. Um, and these like really sort of like benign sitcom, but also genre stories. And I didn't really realize that at the time. I didn't realize it until a few years ago, but like th- those kind of set me up. Um, and, and sort of simultaneously, I was watching the Ninja Turtle cartoon in the early 90s. Ninja Turtles was my first love. And I didn't even realize it was a comic book until many years later. Uh, Spider-Man, the anime series, Batman, the animated series. Like I had all these, you know, these comic book and genre storytelling influences in my life from an early age. And that was a huge part of it. Um, and then when I got to high school and really started like um, I went to a high school that had block scheduling so you would have four classes um, a day for half a year for twice as long as a normal class like an hour and a half mm-hmm. um, and what, what that let me do is sort of get a lot of my general education class out of the way very quickly like I did English one through four by the end of my sophomore year oh wow. um, and so what that allowed me to do is take honors AP and even a couple um, college level English courses, junior and senior year. And it was like honors major themes and honors contemporary literature and, and just all these writing and reading classes. And I really sort of fell in love with it. And there's there's one book, and I remember this moment very vividly. There's a book called... Uh, Son of a bitch! Now I'm not going to be able to remember what it's called. It's called. It's called. Their eyes were watching God. Um, was it? Yeah. Um, and it's it's about a black woman who lives in sort of a, a very southern um, area of the U.S. And I want to say it's set in like the, the 20s or the 30s. Um, so it's not not too far away, but not exactly modern. Yeah. But um, she just lives this very restricted life, um, and she's got an abusive husband and all this. Um, and and this is a pretty on the nose thing. But for me, at the when I was 17 this really struck me hard she finally decides to leave home and go live her life the way she wants to and throughout the whole book she's had her hair up in this like really tight bun and then like as she's walking out and off into the distance she like lets her hair down and like once my teacher's like yeah and this this represents freedom and i realized like holy shit this is the stuff books can do um (laughs) i'm in yeah, so like that, it was like in that moment I knew I wanted to like be a writer of some kind, um, and then probably about a year later, uh, Marvel Civil War was about to happen, and my local newspaper covered that Spider Man was getting a new costume. I'm not really sure why they covered it, um, but I read the article. Uh, the cost- <laughs> Marvel costume- put a lot into like promotion, you know, comic yeah. promotion back then. <laughs> I, I guess um, more, more than they do now, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I, I went, uh, a comic shop opened up in my town a few months before that. So I went over there, I picked up the issue, um, sort of fell in love with comics, like in that, you know, Spider-Man, Spider-Man 528 still hanging on my wall. Um, and like, it's, it's sort of been like, it's been, he, uh, unmasked himself. 
No, that was Civil War Two. I want to say okay. um, this. This is uh, the sort of lead into that. The, the arc was called up. Uh, Mr. Parker goes to Washington. It's when Tony and Peter are sort of buddy buddy because of the new Avengers, and it's like a father son kind of thing they got going on. Yeah, uh, and he like takes him down to Washington to try and lobby against the Superhuman Registration Act, um, and then you know Tony flips because you know Stanford happens and yeah all that's history. But it's he gets the uh, the red and gold costume in five twenty eight and. No, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I would say like that yeah. and Secret Invasion. I think were the last two like, like big Marvel events that I was like really, really into. I, I've read a bunch since then, but like those, like those are the last two that I just like. I had to read everything. I needed to know everything. I needed to be like up to the minute. Um, so yeah, de- definitely you know Civil War. Um, I would say I was on even like I think the maybe it's because it's like the first few years I was reading comics and I was really, really in love with Marvel at the time, but like everything from probably the beginning of, uh, Joe Straczynski's Spider-Man run, which the, the red and gold suit was part of yeah. up, up through like probably siege, which was sort of the end of like the civil war storyline, like as you know, in terms of acts, I guess like, you know, yeah, yeah. um, but like that whole, I want to say it was like 2006 to 2010 like that that right there is marvel gold to me like that's always going to be like the best marvel and it really hasn't really resonated with me in the same sense i still read a lot um but very little has captured my imagination at that like scope yeah of marvel. No, I, I definitely hear that i um my kind of you know renaissance was um ultimate x-men and ultimate spider-man um when those started because at that point um, you know, I, I loved comics when I was younger. Um, you know, I kind of had an interest in writing, but I wasn't like you know all gung ho about you know writing stuff. When those came out, like those were like not only did they like pull me back into comics, uh, just because you know, like I had to read those books as soon as I got my hands on them, um, but they also kind of like sparked the interest in writing for me. Like, oh yeah, you know the same thing like that you kind of experienced. Like, oh, this is what like a good powerful story can do. Like. You know, cool. I kind of want to do that. Like, I like this. You know. Um, well, yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man was, was pretty fantastic. Like that. It was. Yeah, it was, it was Spider-Man for for I guess of an earlier stage millennial. You know, millennials yeah. sort of a broad category. But and look um, at it now. It's just got to be like you know, hello, extreme teens. I'm Spider-Man. Like, but at the time, it was just like dead on. Like, it just spoke right to me. I, I reread the first twelve issues maybe about a year and a half ago, right before I moved to San Francisco when I was packing up, I just sat down for an afternoon and like read through them and they still hold up mostly well. Like, I mean, they're definitely a little dated. Um, that, that universe itself is pretty dated, especially like with the ultimate stuff. It's very post nine 11 and like, there's a lot of references to George Bush and stuff in there. Yeah. Um, but Sp- Spider-Man's holds up fairly well. And I, I mean, I guess I didn't think of this before, but I would say it was at least on some level, a bit of a, uh, an influence for dead and kids because you know it really is the peter parker coming of age story like for the modern reader yeah. um uh have you always been kind of a you know as comics go a marvel guy not much of a dc guy that was the case for a long time and like and most of it was because i grew up on you know spider-man the animated series and x-men and i had familiarity with those characters um and on some level i kind of resented batman for a long time um just <laughs> Like, I, I'm the kind of guy who, like, I know Kurt Cobain was an excellent musician, but I can't listen to Nirvana because everyone likes Nirvana. Yeah. And I know 
I know Tom Brady is an excellent quarterback, but I hate the Patriots because because they're good and because everyone likes them. Um, and like that's sort of how my attitude towards Batman it was um, when Scott Snyder came on um, back in the beginning of New Fifty Two. Like I jumped on, just you know, it was a good New Fifty Two for all its flaws was a really good jumping on point for people who didn't read DC comics and like it really did give me a, a good intro to their whole universe um and i I like a lot of the scott snyder stuff and then i went back and read grant and now i'm reading the tom king stuff um so like you know um i'm I'm more even keeled now i still probably read more marvel um i'd say i probably enjoy more dc titles um but i don't generally enjoy most comics i read anymore like i think i think the monthly grind of putting out superhero comics really is to the detriment of the quality at this point (laughs) yeah 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 for sure i mean you know, I really wish some books would take like the kind of uh, the British TV approach, like you know, yeah, you're gonna get a new season, but you're gonna get like four episodes, and it will be like, a year or two before you see more. Well, you know, it's really, like that is sort of happening, but like not with the top tier characters. Like you're getting like a maxi series like Vision by Tom King, which you know was announced well into its development like you know they had a really good plan they knew how many issues it would be and like they were able to build a cool story around it and then you get the same thing with like warren ellis's six issue run on moon knight um the spider woman series i want to say was it was it sam humphreys no it was uh dennis hopeless um i mean there's like there are more there are more seasoned runs um around you know, smaller characters with Spider-Man and, and, and the Avengers, I guess you can't really do that and like maintain the momentum or keep bringing people back. But, you know, the Jessica Jones run that's happening right now, uh, it's all digital first. They're releasing two, two chapters at a time digitally every month. And it's, uh, it's Kelly Thompson. And then the trade is coming out and it's, you know, that's, it's almost, I was just listening to another podcast when I was on my way home, um, with, uh, Sebastian Gurner, Gurner, who's the editor in chief over at TKL. And they have a really cool release model that gives you three options, but it's all bingeable. It all comes out on the same day. You can have like an oversized book, a regular trade, or like all the six single issues for their series. And then, you know, all, all at once, whatever option or all the options and i think i think things are moving that way that's the way european comics come out that's the way a lot of kickstarter comics come out um i think it's just a lot of the old guard resisting change because you know yeah it seems like they're kind of half like half-assing it you know trying to do it that way where instead of just telling you hey this is going to be you know a small run series you know they're like captain america is the perfect example of it like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is another one where like they'll do a run it'll be you know the the Jerry Duggan run recently is the one that sticks out in mm-hmm. my mind like I absolutely loved that run I did too it was yeah. phenomenal but it seems like they I don't know if they you know intentionally kind of sidelined it for that Infinity War event that they had or if that was all kind of leading up to it but it just seemed like you know that that kind of you know huge mega crossover looming in the background took away from you know that's you know from the from the Guardian story for me anyway. But I, I mean that that series was so great, and then sure enough, after like sixteen issues, I think boom, it's gone. Yeah, and I, I, I think, think with, uh, Captain America, the the Mark Wade and uh, uh, Chris Samney run, I, I absolutely loved. And then, uh, that that was a that was a filler run though. That was to to <laughs> prime the pump for Tana Hesse to get ready. Yeah, I will say the last like three or four issues with that future storyline that was definitely like. We got nothing for Steve to do in these couple of issues, so yeah. And, and if you look back, uh, Marvel's actually done that same filler storyline a few times. Like uh, after Shadowland, uh, they did the same thing with Daredevil, where he went on a cross country road trip, um, and that that's sort of like the go to filler 
Yeah, um, ever so, hard traveling heroes. That's like the, uh, it's the let's have them go on a road trip. Yeah, um, but you're right. Like a lot of these stories are very much slave to uh, events and stuff like that, and that's another reason I'm a little bit jaded. And I, I, I tried not to be for a long time, but yeah, I'm ready to admit that I, I'm very put off by some of it. Um, and one of the things I actually think about a lot is like, how would I structure an event store and how would I like build it? Like, you know, from the, from the run that it's based on to, you know, the actual event itself and how like the event is structured to not do what it, you know, events do that people don't like. Like I think, uh, metal, the Batman crossover from, uh, DC, which, you know, wasn't the best story I've ever read. I thought it was structured really well. Mm-hmm. Um, like they had, you know, six, tie-in one-shots that sort of happened between the main issues, like a couple of satellite one-shots, and then I think two crossovers that crossed over three titles, but three titles in a row, so like you only missed one title, or one issue of a book you liked if you weren't reading Metal, um, instead of six months. Um, like, I, I think that that was pretty smartly done. Um, uh, War of the Realms, which is happening right now in the Thor books, is uh, another one that I think they're, they've put some thought into the structure of. Um, it seems like each two issues is an act, and then everything fits between like you know issue two and three and then between four and five um yeah so i've intentionally kind of like avoiding that one but now i'm kind of regretting it well you know it'll it'll be out in a trade eventually have you been reading the the jason aaron thor run uh no no i've been uh he's been doing avengers though i've been digging that I, I dig the Avengers stuff. Um, you know, letting T'Challa get some spotlight and sort of a new uh, take on the Avengers team with uh, Robbie Reyes there. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would say um, that Thor run's going to be over, I think, in like another three issues. I, I'd go back and read all of it straight through. It's pretty phenomenal, especially the first 11 issues. Huh, that's good to know. Yeah, definitely check that out. Um, you know, as far um, kind of getting into like a writery question here. When we you know, when we first started talking on Twitter, like setting this up, I think you had said something to me like, "Don't don't be afraid to ask me any questions." Sure. Yeah. yeah and then like I was like, "That's kind of a weird thing." Like, you know, it's just kind of like out of the blue because usually, you, you know. Well, uh, once you say it's gonna be weird, and then that means you have to ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, not that, but like usually, like people are like kind of like scared whenever they're like coming on a podcast. So it's just like you know, oh, you know, I don't know what to talk about. Like you know, just kind of like there's a lot of nerves and. But nobody's ever really said to me, like, hey, don't be afraid to ask me anything. I'm like, I wonder what that's about. And then I was reading kind of your backstory. I'm like, oh, okay. I get what that's about. Um, yeah, you know, not to, not to dwell on, you know, on your past, but, yeah, you've, you've, come, you've come through a lot of, you know, adversity, a lot of difficult events, a lot of just tragedy. Um, do you feel that that has, like, it's been something that's, you know, fueled you as, as, as far as a writer? Because I know I can speak from my own experiences. Um, just going through... You know, periods of depression, uh, especially like in college, like just deep, deep, deep depression for weeks on end. You know, it would be terrible, be terrible for me. But at the same time, I I was taking out like, you know, it would fuel my writing. So, I mean, it's a horrible thing. But at the same time, there is, you know, I was getting like a benefit from it. It was helping me, you know, dealing with that was helping me kind of creatively, basically. I think the answer to that question is yes and no. Um, I don't know that it fuels my writing today. Um, like a lot of the stuff that I write about in the afterward and grief is, is sort of long since past. Like I think the, it's sort of the, it's, it's my personal history up until about the age of 19, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm 31 and a half now. I had to add that half because it makes me feel like a man. <laughs> like a big man. Uh, yeah. Um, 
but uh definitely made me sound younger didn't it um <laughs> but like i i really did like work through a lot of that stuff over the last you know 13 years or 12 years since 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 that part of my life not that's not to say it doesn't affect me every day but in, rather than fueling like what i write about it's more of a, a well for me to draw on yeah um like it's 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 not yeah, I mean, I don't know. that's kind of a better way to say. Kind of, you know, I didn't really put it the most you yeah. know, eloquently. No, no, it's fine. I, because what you're like, the way you said it is a, a way that some people do it. Like, I know people who are actively dealing with things in their lives. Like, I know uh, a writer who's very close to me who has uh, a mother who uh, has dementia, and like that's a big part of her writing process and the stuff that she writes about, and that's how she's actively working through it. Um, for me, these things are sort of in the rearview mirror. They're very much a part of who I am, but like, you know, I have a, a present life that I'm dealing with that's yeah, completely different. Um, but it, it's still part of it. Um, and stuff, stuff that like is going on in my life now and even in the future. Like one of the things I'm writing right now, uh, that's, that's, won't be out probably till spring 2020 or sorry, 2021, um, is, is, very much about like sort of my fears of becoming a father and and what that would be like like you know you you guys read the the afterward uh, my father passed away when I was about a year and a half old and I I really didn't grow up with a father figure or when I did have one they weren't always the greatest um and it's it's sort of like trying to hop into a NASCAR without ever having driven or seen someone drive before like that's what fatherhood feels like to me yeah so like it's this terrifying thing that I have no sort of North star for no experience, you know, to, to model myself on. And I'm terrified of it. Um, so like that's, you know, so in that, so that's one of the ways that I write now that is tapping into the, how you ask the question. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I definitely, like I said, I, you know, it wasn't the most articulate kind of way. I know. It's fine. Who's got nerves now? <laughs> um, I know like, I mean, for some people it can even be like kind of a crutch, like, well, well, I need to be depressed, you know, or, you know, to, to be able to write. And like, no, not really. You know, it's something that, you know, like I said, it, it informed, you know, what I was writing. It kind of, you know, pushed me, you know, creatively. But, you know, at the same time, it, it's not something I needed, you know. And I think a lot of people kind of get hung up on that type of stuff. Well, you know, and I don't know, maybe I'm just babbling at this point. But I think it's a lot, like, a reason why a lot of people, like, a lot of creative people always end up like kind of just you know drinking themselves to death or overdosing like i think it's just because you're dealing with a lot of that like complicated stuff that a lot of people just kind of push it off to the back of their mind you know it, yeah I, I i definitely agree like what if, if i had to like make a thesis about writers and this is you know if you tested this a thousand times i think it'd be true 900 times so like not all the time but um i think that writing is 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 the effect of the cause of having trauma um it's not true for everyone some people can just write and you know i th I, I don't know james patterson but he seems to write a lot of books about law which isn't a super traumatic thing um, <laughs> but like you know i i think there are definitely people out there who can who can write and make a living off of it but like the people who really influence me um who aren't Joss Whedon because he's, he's way up there or Stanley, um, but like guys like Pat Conroy, um, who, if you're not familiar with him, he wrote the Prince of Tides, which was a movie in the eighties and uh, seven or eight novels, um, all sort of set in like South Carolina near Charleston and in and around like military schools. And like, he had an abusive relationship with his father. Um, he moved around a lot as a kid. Um, like he, so he was 
uh, like in his late adolescence and early adulthood in the late 60s and saw a lot of the stuff going on around then with racism in the South. Um, And like he he really tapped into a lot of that. Um, And I think for him, it was pretty cathartic. Um, And then other, you know, uh, Ernest Hemingway is another one. I like sort of old white guy books, I guess. I'm I'm noticing this now. It's not purposeful. (laughs) Um, But Hemingway is another guy who, who very much had PTSD before there was a word for it from fighting in wars. And, and, and was a guy who was very much at odds with like the idea of manliness and, and, and trying to fight against it while succumbing to it. Um, but like he had, I, I mean, I guess if you have trauma, it, it's, you inherently have at least something to write about. Yeah. Um, but you're, but you're right. Like some people do like make it a crutch. Like I, I don't think you need to be depressed to write. Like yeah. I, I, that's, that's a, that's a very, very unhealthy attitude. Um, yeah, it's I think, not that you need it. Like, you know, Hey, you know, if you're going to go through this bad thing, try to take, you know, something, try to take a benefit away from it is, I guess is like the proper way to look at it don't don't kind of induce the bad thing to get that benefit sure like i, I mean i know i know a couple of people who sort of insist that they have to be drunk to write and then you know they edit, you know the old write drunk edit sober like they take it pretty literally yeah. um and i just i don't know like i can understand like wanting to like calm yourself down and i don't want to belittle anyone who has anxiety or 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 you know imposter syndrome because those are all very real things um but on some level that's that's veering towards self-harm and like that's just not the way to do it yeah. <laughs> I, don't mean, I don't mean to laugh like it's just yeah, no, it's, it's such a such a it's, a, it's not it's not a, it's not healthy um <laughs> all right well now that we've bummed everybody out <laughs> um Let's do some uppers. Yeah, yeah. Woo! Um, I don't know. Look, but not go right. Yeah. But not go right. <laughs> um, you know, looking past um, kind of the you know, comic medium, um, is Dead End Kid something you would like to do as like a you know a film or like a, maybe like a like a prestige TV series that seems to be the rage these days? I mean, it, it would definitely be cool. Um, I, I heard a lot of stories about how Brian Bendis shopped around uh, Powers for a long time before Sony picked it up and fucked it up. Um, yeah. But it got nobody could see it. <laughs> yeah, and it was bad, so it's it's better that nobody saw it. I saw the first couple episodes; it's horrible. Oh. Um, but it got optioned like I'm gonna throw a number out there; it's probably not, but like seven times at like forty grand a, 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 an option. So he he passively made you know almost three hundred thousand dollars off of this movie not getting made. So I guess in my ideal world, people would option it but not make it for a long time and just keep optioning it. <laughs> I just want a lot of buzz. Uh, yeah, I keep getting options. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I don't make the stories for that reason. Like I, I have friends who want to be screenwriters and who want to have animation deals and like, all oh, that's really cool to me. Um, but it's really not the reason I do it. So like the, the, the answer is yes. and no. Like I'm not actively pursuing it. I'm not going to shy away from it. If it comes my way. Um, my publisher source, Mike press does have, um, active development on a few of the properties. Uh, we just put our first movie out rotten tail. It's sort of a B horror movie that really leans into like the eighties horror comedy aspect of itself it's about a guy who gets bit by a radioactive bunny and instead of like doing the peter parker and getting responsible and and, you know using his power to help people he becomes like a fucking mutant easter bunny and and kills people like he just goes total other direction um and it's hysterical um and it's great um there's another uh my friend casey's got a book called nora that's an active development that'll be the next film so like if that if that opportunity came like 
I'm not. I'm definitely gonna. I'm, I'm here yeah, for it. Like absolutely all aboard. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if it means more people will buy the book, which is the the ultimate goal for me is to write the stories, put them in people's hands. Like I, I could do this and make no money from it. Like. And I would be okay. I look at this as a hobby. Like some people travel, some people are foodies and go have like hundred dollar meals every night. This is this is like what I spend my money on to make me happy: writing and and flying out to shows and meeting people and putting books in hands and stuff like that. Um, which is like probably a terrible mindset, but it's the one that gets me through. Yeah, no, it's a great mindset. I would say. I mean, it, you you know, you're giving something to people that that means a lot to them. You know, it. Um, it reaches them personally and, you know, it gets them through like this, you know, the times that they're struggling, they have the tough times. So yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, that's not something to like, you know, that's definitely something to embrace. I would say, um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm getting all, uh, getting all choked up here. Um, as far as the, uh, like the, any of the individual stories from, uh, from grief, are there any of those you plan on maybe like developing a little more? Cause there's a lot of great premises in there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So the, the secret origin of grief was that it wasn't supposed to be a book. Um, I, I took a comics writing class with a, an online comic school comic called comics experience. Uh, it's run by Andy Schmidt, who's being Marvel editor. He's the guy who put together the, uh, gardens, the galaxy t- uh, team that, you know, from the movies, he was nice behind the, behind the scenes on civil war and, and winter soldier of uh, the books um so this is a guy who like was very influential in sort of that period of marvel we talked about that really hit me um and uh he's got a a comics writing well comics creation school you can do art you can do lettering you can do color you can do writing um so i took the class with him and embrace was written in that class it was my project for that class um and uh when I got out of the class in, uh, it was, uh, April of 2017, was it? Or 26, 2016. Mm. Jeez, I'm losing out years now. Um, <laughs> it will happen as you get older, man. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, the, the day I finished that class, I had that, you know, sort of professionally edited script in my hands. I got it drawn, colored, lettered. And like within two weeks I had like the finished product and I was like looking at it, reading, you know, my finished comic. And I got, like hooked like I, I i keep saying this and i don't have a better analogy for it, but it was like crack like i needed i needed more yeah no once uh, you get that first like you know rush that like oh man like once you yeah, once, once you see like the finished product like all the hard work that like you've been putting into it like this is the thing that you know that's a result of it like it's just it it puts it all into perspective and it's just it's it can be overwhelming you know i've, I've been sure. there before yeah 100 percent. and and then like yeah, not to, to blow smoke at my own ass or toot my own horn, but like I read that story, which you guys have both now read, and I was like, this this is pretty good. This is the thing I want to do with my life, and I'm kind of good at it. Um, so I sort of like from then on dug my heels in, um, and I wrote between April and December of 2016, I wrote nine more stories. Um, but around the time I was writing the sixth one, I printed them out um, in physical space on paper for my printer um, and laid them on the floor of my office in my house. And uh, I was sort of like moving around and like putting them next to one another, trying to sort of figure out what I hadn't written yet, because uh, these, these are essentially all samples. I was, I was, you know, looking to, to get some freelance work with, you know, IDW or boom, doing like a short in the back of a book, like a backup or something yeah, like just you know, start 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 you know my career um and i was looking at these and i was trying to figure out what the right next i'd written embrace i'd written uh cassandra the first story which is sort of a sci-fi 
take on mental illness. I'd written the second story, um, which is sort of a hard take on, on losing a loved one. Um, and I was trying to figure out like what the next stories were. And as I was moving these things around in physical space, I was reminded of the Jeff Loeb Captain America miniseries Fallen Sun, which deals directly with the five stages of the grieving process told through five one shots. And what, like, I remember reading that I was a freshman in college and I read that and I was like, my mind was blown. I have like a little bit of OCD and I like things that are like organized or systematized or put into some kind of system. And like yeah. that, and because I had, you know, dealt with so much stuff when I was younger, like this idea that there were stages to the grieving process and it was like this ordered thing that you could do and go through, like really stuck with me. And then I saw that like this was sort of showing itself in the work without me meaning it to. It's just in the DNA of how I write. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I saw that, I was like, okay, so th- this stage is missing and this stage is here. And I sort of plotted out what would be the rest of my portfolio. Um, and I, I decided that there would be two stories for each of the five stages in no particular order. The, the stories are ordered by what I thought would be most entertaining. Um, so I wrote the rest of the stories, made the rest of the stories, and I got to December and I was like, fuck, I spent a lot of money on the, all this. And uh, the whole networking thing is moving a little slower than I thought it would. Um, I had, you know, sort of unmanaged expectations about that early on. Um, and I was like, well, what, what can I do to either, you know, make some more money or recoup some of this money? So I, that's sort of where the idea for grief came from. Um, I was like, well, let me, let me slap a cover on this and, and put it in order and, and, and see if I can, you know, put it out as a, as an anthology. Um, I'll do it on Kickstarter. And, and I did, I was on Kickstarter in April of 2017. Um, and like, that's sort of the secret origin. And, and, you know, so there was never like a plan for there to be more of these characters. Um, one of the original pitches I gave myself for uh, grief before it was grief was that these characters, there would sort of be like in between pages that told a story about all these characters sort of meeting in a diner. Uh-huh. And, you, and you wouldn't know why they were all in this diner. And then at the end of it, you'd find out like, I don't know, some 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 guy, either an alien future superhero was trying to put the, you know, he was like Nick Fury. He's trying to put together a team. And then there would be like a follow up series where like it was like uh you know rejects type of avengers it was it was like it was a bad idea i'm glad i didn't (laughs) go with it um so like at some point i guess there was room for more story and i definitely have considered writing a little more um on april 1st of this year i uh put out a, a teaser of uh the uh the bird from the cover but like inverted so it was like black and the background was red uh with a big number two in the font from the uh the logo oh, as like nice. a teaser yeah yeah but it was it was april fools <laughs> oh my God. Uh, p- p- people were really mad like i thought people would get a good laugh there there are some diehard fans of this book now and they were pissed so oh, ever but but because they were pissed i sort of realized that you know this this is possibly a viable project um so it's in the back of my mind if i was going to do it which i'm not saying i would or wouldn't um or am not rather uh I would definitely maybe do one or two follow-ups, but I'd, I'd want it to probably be all newer content. Um, I'd also probably want to let other people write it um, and get some new voices out there with new stories that I, I couldn't tell yeah. because they're not stories. Um, so, I mean, it's 
it's it's always possible, I guess. That's a really long way of saying it. it's it's always possible to see more in this little grief universe, which is a connected universe. Oh. Even though none, none of the stories have any Easter eggs to the other ones, and that honestly they probably contradict one another, but it is a shared universe in my mind. The grief averse. The grief averse. <laughs> Um, you had mentioned uh, doing cons. Uh, is that uh, kind of also kind of something new for you? The whole world, uh, just traveling and spending your entire weekend, like you know, sitting at a table. Uh, no, in in uh, what's June now? I can't even tell you what month it is. In June of 2019, it is no longer new. I did my first con in April of 2018. You'll notice now that April is sort of the big month for me every year. It's the uh, the month I wrote grief, or the month I wrote embrace, the month I did my Kickstarter and got grief funded. It's the month that uh, grief debuted in print last year from Source Point Press. It was the month we announced that in kids this year. It's it's sort of like. It's totally on, not on purpose either. It just keeps, keeps working out that way. Um, no, I like I said. Uh, so, uh, I guess let's. I'll do it like this as like a history lesson because it's probably the most streamlined way to do it. Um, Grief was on Kickstarter in 2017 in April. It was uh, all digital Kickstarter, completely funded in like the first 10 hours. It was I, I was looking for like 1,500 bucks. Yeah. Uh, by the end of it, I think. We- we were at $3,700, like 400 backers or something like that. Like people really responded well to the book. A lot of people were just psyched by the idea and like, you know, donating like larger than average sums of money for like, just to support the book. Um, so that's, that's how grief sort of first went into the world. Um, I mentioned Comics Experience earlier. Um, Comics Experience is a very vibrant community of creators. We have uh, an online forum for creators to be part of. Um, and Andy, um, a while back for Comics Experience, had had a publishing agreement with IDW where uh, the school would sort of act as a talent pipeline. So uh, guys like, um, I don't know if you have been to your local shop recently, but uh, there's a couple of books on shelves right now. Uh, Road of Bones and... Uh, Wailing Blade, both by Rich Duick. He was in that first wave of Comics Experience books. I want to say it was like six, seven years ago now. Okay. Um, and other other guys like Paul Aller, who does a lot with uh, Ninja Turtles at IDW, and um, recently got announced on uh, a Power Rangers uh, graphic novel over at Boom. Um, so like you know, they had this this pipeline. Uh, to idw but idw at some point i want to say it was like five years ago now uh, sort of restructured and they really they went sort of all in on their shared universe with all the hasbro properties um and yeah, then like they transformers tra- and yeah uh, gi joe and all that yeah yeah, and then at the same time, they uh, they went all in on their sort of media side of you know developing properties into movies, sort of the IP farm kind of approach. Um, but what that did was uh, it left a very little or no money for sort of the sublines, like the, the Comics Experience imprint and a couple other imprints that were doing. So that closed up. Um, and then for a long time, Andy was looking for a new publishing partner to have sort of a similar agreement with, so that way Comics Experience alums and, and students could could have access to to being published. Um, by virtue of their talent, but also being part of comics experience. Um, so in April of 2017, uh, while grief was on Kickstarter, I flew out to Chicago for C2E2. Um, and I, you know, I had a book, it was done. It was on Kickstarter. It was doing, it was already funded by the time this was rolling. And I said, you know, I need to start networking and you know, the way to network is to go to cons and meet people and shake hands and, and have yeah, a beer. Definitely. Absolutely. 
<laughs> so I, I went out to uh, C2E2 uh, that in 2017, and you know, I met a lot of really good friends who are, you know, Justin Jordan, who's done so much, um, David Pepos, who does Spencer and Locke, um, among many other people. Um, but that was sort of like my first digging my heels and, and, and getting down to it. Like, you know, like I said, I wanted to do this. Like I felt like I was good at it and I wanted to keep doing it. Um, so I did, um, at that same C2E2 without me knowing it, Andy was meeting with Travis McIntyre, who's the editor in chief at SourcePoint press. Um, and that's when, you know, they sort of made that connection, um, that would ultimately lead to the, the publishing program between the two companies. Um, in the meantime, there was a an all digital publishing line that Comics Experience was going to launch. Uh, it was going to be done through Comicsology and sort of run in house. Um, it wouldn't have had the same sort of signal boost as a, a traditional publisher, but it was sort of better than nothing. Um, and Andy was sort of, you know, short up for for options for a while. Um, and Grief was in line to be one of the first titles published through that digital imprint. Mm. Um, but uh, Andy met with Travis. They really headed off, um, and all this was sort of going on behind the scenes. Um, so. So we sort of fast forward. I go through uh, 2017, sort of doing the same thing. I went down to Heroes Con. I went to um, a few other shows, really trying to you know, meet people and network. Um, so we're it's October. We're at New York Comic Con, um, and I'm walking around meeting publishers. I walked over to you know, AfterShock. I walked over to Boom. And I introduced myself to the editors I could find, and I made my way over to SourcePoint Press. And I'm talking to Travis, um, and. Travis is this. He kind of looks like Tormund from uh, Game of Thrones. He's, <laughs> nice. he's a big ginger beard, kind of wily hair, a bigger guy, and uh, he's a little bit of a gruff voice. Um, sometimes I walk over and like, "Hi, I'm Frank Olga. He's like, "Oh," and, uh, and I'm just just wanted to introduce myself, blah blah blah. And we're talking for a couple minutes, and he, he stops, sort of cocks his head, and he says, "What'd you say your name is?" It's like uh, Frank Olga. Oh yeah, I, I just read your book. I'm like, no, no, you you must be mistaken. I I haven't submitted anything to you guys. It's like, yeah, grief, right? He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna pick it up. I'm like, huh? Sorry, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I I didn't know what to do, so I sort of just rolled with it. Um, and then I walked away after that conversation sort of met its natural end. And I was standing in the middle of you know, New York Comic Con, one of the biggest shows in the world, surrounded by thousands of people thinking I lost my fucking mind. <laughs> like, like, this is a statistical impossibility. Like, this has never happened to anyone, I'm sure of it. And it's never happened. And it'll never happen to anyone ever again. Um, but what had happened without me knowing was the publishing program between SourcePoint Press and Comic Experience had sort of codified, um, and Andy had passed along grief without telling me, um, sort of not, not on the assumption or t- that I would be okay with it or anything like that, but just, you know, he thought it was a good book that deserved, you know, a shot at being published and didn't think I'd have a problem with it, and, you know, I could always said no in the long run, but he, he had sent it over to Travis, and Travis read it, and, you know, sort of that was that. Um, so that was uh, that was October 2017. Um, the book came out uh, officially. It launched in in print at C2E2 in April of 2018, a year ago, um, and that was that was my first time working at con. And I've worked uh, probably 22 or 23 shows since then. Like it, it's I'm I'm, I'm this type of person. Yeah, oh, since man, it, in long. in the last 14 months. Yeah, I yeah, think- I'm. I'm the, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I think the busiest year we ever had for doing cons was like 12 in one year. And like, even like at that point, we were ready to like, like collapse. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, you know, it's like, shit, I can't imagine 22. <laughs> you know, I could talk about this like all day because um, SourcePoint Press is, is 
I will tell you right here, and I'll swear in a Bible to say it, the greatest publisher making comics right now. I'm not saying that because they carry my book. I say it because the the model of the publisher is atypical. Um, it is a creator-owned company, so it's it's akin to your to your image or your I don't know what else your scout. Um, I forget. I don't even know who all the publishers are anymore. Um, <laughs> But the the thing that sort of sets it aside is that the, there's very small corporate structure. There's there's Travis, the editor in chief, and Josh Werner, the the founder of the company, who's the art director. And like outside of that, everything else in the company, the social media, the uh, you know the the networking with with vendors and retailers, um, hanging out with the diamond reps, like that's all done by the creators. Um, they're about. I want to say about a hundred people involved with source point press at some level. And there are 20 to 30 core people, myself included, who fly out to shows to, to sell each other's books. Like there are weekends we're in three places. This past weekend I was in Denver. Oh. Uh, we also had a table at uh, BookCon in New York, a, a table. We had a four sided, we had a four sided booth there. Um, and then we also had a booth down at a smaller show in Virginia or West Virginia. Um, and, and that first weekend in April last year, when I was there, we were also so in Dallas and New Jersey, like we do about 70 shows a year, like a big part of our, our revenue model is hand selling. It's very grassroots. Um, but we also all know how to sell books. We all know each other's books really well. So we like me, me and uh, a writer named Greg Wright were at oh, Greg in, has been on this in, podcast. Well, there, there you go. Yeah. Um, it was just me and Greg in Denver this weekend. And we had 500 books, like, you know, trades, single issues, you know, odds and ends. Um, and we sold out every single one of those books in less than three days we were we were done by two o'clock on sunday um and that's just a testament to like the level of care and and knowledge and and how how in it like the creators at source point press are like i mentioned casey pierce earlier she's fantastic ben goldsmith bob sally like i mean like these are these are people who are getting out there like you know shaking hands and kissing babies like with their books and my book and each other's books um and and what's really nice about it is source point press pays for the booth they put it they put us up in hotels you know it's it's sometimes it's four dudes and two beds in in one dinky hotel room like 20 miles from the con but it's still 200 bucks or 300 bucks or 400 bucks i didn't have to spend and then the booth cost that i didn't have to spend i find myself out there and i work for three days um which sounds terrible but i'm there with my friends i'm there you know it is a good time i get to go network um and it's just you know i've in the last year i've had people come back up to me at c2e2 this year uh, say hey i bought your book last year i loved it do you have more what else can i buy from you um and i've seen the same thing happen for casey and for bob and for greg like it's i i think that scout comics and alterna and uh, ahoy who seems to be blowing up a little bit like i'm glad that they're doing well i'm glad to see the market diversify i'm glad that they're making waves and getting name recognition i don't think source point press has the same name recognition like with newsarama or comic resources or even bleeding cool but i think that there are genuine source point press fans like there are shows i go to um where people come up and say i bought books from you last year give me one of everything you put out since then oh, like regardless yeah, like and like I, I can't speak you know competently about what's going on on at other publishers, but I know that I've never been moved to do that at you know any publisher ever. So like that that's that's huge in my eyes, um, and like you know I've been asked a lot lately um, would I jump ship and go to Image. Um, and the answer is is no. I would. I honestly, right now, have no plans to publish like creator on work with any other publisher. 
because I know that this is this ship is going to keep rising. Like this tide's going to keep going up. Yeah, um, if you, like you said, you know, if you're happy, it's working for you. And plus, you know, you're reaching people. You've got people coming back. Just we just want more. Why change? Why go anywhere else? Exactly. Like I had a, a journalism professor in college who told me, uh, there, there are sort of two ways you can go about life. You can go be a small fish in a big pond. You know, you could be any old creator at Image Comics, which which is fine, which is good. You know, it has a great market saturation. It's a great company. Or you could be a big fish in a small pond. You know, I can be one of you know five or six sort of premier creators at a publisher that's that's doing things that are really interesting. Um, and like that really does sound like I'm bragging, and like I don't mean it to, but like it's it's just a very accurate portrayal of how it is. Mm. Um, tell everybody where they can get a copy of the book, where they can get a hold of you on the social media, uh, all that good stuff. Uh, so, uh, Dead and Kids is currently in previews. So, if you have a local comic book shop, you can go in and order it right now. The sort of unofficial cutoff date for issue one was uh, the 31st of May, so it's just recently passed. Okay. Uh, I got the I got the pre-order numbers this morning, and they're super good. Um, so people are really responding to it. Uh, I also know that the the print will be higher than the orders, so uh, it will be available for reorder reorders. So if you're hearing this after May 31st, which is no way you won't be, um, you can still go in and order it for at least a limited window. Um, and the pre-order code on that is May 191908, M-A-Y-191908. Um, issue two, which is my favorite issue of the series, um, where you really dig into the, the characters' backstories and find out why they're all fucked up. Um, it's called Holes. Uh, it's <laughs> in previews right now. It's also got my favorite cover. Um, if you go follow me on Instagram, which I'll tell you guys in a minute, you'll be able to see it. It's my most recent post, I think. Um, but the pre- the order code for that is June 19, 1916, J-U-N-1919-16. Um, honestly, you can just walk into your shop and tell your owner that you want that and kids from Source Point Press, and they'll be able to, to look it up. And if, if you can't remember those numbers like I have, so religiously remember them. Um, and then issue three will be in next month's previews i'm sure the the order code will be jul1919 something but i don't have it yet um for social media uh instagram is is my favorite i feel like it's 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 the least offensive in terms of what people do on there and it's also fewest it's also nazis <laughs> I mean, not even that, just like, just jerks in general. But yes, fewest number of Nazis. Um, also, they have the highest standards of any social media. Um, but I'm on there at my name, Frank Gogol, F-R-A-N-K-G-O-G-O-L, just one word. I'm also, much to my chagrin, on Twitter, uh, at the same tag, Frank Gogol, one word. Uh, Twitter's the darling of the uh, the comics world, so I'm on there, I try. It, it's, it's painful some days, but I've surrounded myself with pretty good people, so not all the time um i'm on facebook too if you want to look me up and add me if you're not a nazi like go ahead just just friend i don't have a page i don't have a page or anything but like if you want to be my friend or, or talk to me like do it lots of people do it's i don't just be respectful and that's cool um so yeah and then i have a newsletter that i do uh every two or three weeks uh which I can't possibly remember the link to, but uh, if you follow me on any of those other media, I will inevitably talk about it, or the link is probably somewhere in the bio. Um, and that's that's definitely the best way to keep in touch with me and keep up with the work. Awesome, man. Yeah, and definitely, you know, if you're listening, check out Grief, too. I, I, I really, I cannot recommend both of your, you know, either Dead End Kids or Grief uh, enough, just because, you know, like I said, we talk a lot, a lot about superhero comics here. Uh, it's always good to broaden your horizons, and it, they're both just really great works that speak for themselves. 
appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, um, I think over the weekend at Denver, we officially sold out of uh, SPP, SourcePoint Press, warehouse stock of Grief, of their initial print run, which was 2000. There's definitely some left at Diamond, though, so people can go order that through their, their local comic shop, too. I couldn't possibly remember the, the, the code for that, but it was like, I don't know, maybe it was August. 18 something something it was it came out last september um but if you just go say grief from source point press they'll, they'll be able to look it up in their yeah. computer and do that oh. that magic that um but yeah there's 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 probably a handful of copies left out there for those who, who are interested um there's also like a handful of odds and end copies sort of scattered about at different source point press people's houses you know left over from cons and that, that'll sort of trickle their way out but for all intents and purposes it is out of print Oh, that's a shame. Like I, you know, like I said, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, it was um, great. Well, if I could, if I could petition everybody one step further, um, the Ringo Awards are coming up in September at Baltimore Comic Con. Uh, they're if the Eisners are the Oscars, these would sort of be the Golden Globes. Um, they're go. also they're also a lot more. Um, new creator friendly um and i have been pushing very hard for grief to get the nomination for best anthology um i like i like our chances of getting a nomination um but every vote helps so if you want to roll over to the uh the ringo's website and and just throw a vote down for grief for best anthology that's always great um i guarantee you if it wins best anthology it'll get a reprint um and then you guys will have plenty of access to it i'm sure nice uh frank thank you so much for coming on and talking with us this has been great um, please, you know, come back again in the future. You're, uh, you know, our door is always uh, open for you. We'll be talking to dead end kids for sure. Yeah. Come back. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Like I said, I, I definitely got something in the works for uh, for next year. That's going to be up uh, up your alley, Wendy. I'm excited. <laughs> well, keep your eyes and ears uh, peeled, kids. Uh, this has been transmissions from the evil lair. Uh, I am Seymour. I'm Undies of Wendy. And, uh, and one last massive thank you to Frank Ogle for uh, spending some time with us this evening. Woo. Again, fanfare. We really have to like develop some kind of like. We need like a laugh yeah. track, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you for listening, folks. Yeah.